Hi, this is the official podcast of Riverside International Church in Lisbon. Riverside is an international, contemporary, caring, and Christ-centered community. Our vision is to significantly impact the country of Portugal and the regions beyond with the gospel. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that your life will be impacted by these teachings. God bless. So today we are continuing in a series called Everyday Disciples. Now, if you've been with us for a little while, you will have noticed that we usually uh, preach at Riverside in series. And the reason that we preach in series is that we can, we can deliver messages that are coherent with each other, that we can really seek to, to, to explore the Word of God from different angles and to have that Word transform us. And so Reuben began this message series, Everyday Disciples, two weeks ago with everyday change. And he pointed us to, to the power of the Word of God, and, and he challenged us to really seek the Word of God because it has power to transform us. Just this week, I was showing somebody, a, a Lisbon Project volunteer, uh, we, I was showing her the, the place and, and the organization, and then I showed her the auditorium, and we were started talking about church, and, and I was saying, yeah, this is a beautiful auditorium, this is an auditorium where we can fit a lot of people, but church isn't about this Sunday celebration. What we seek to do in this auditorium is to let the Word of God transform us. That every week as we come, and, and the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, we really believe that our messages aren't just for us to, to leave feeling happy or comforted, but that we may leave transformed. And that as we live our lives throughout the week, that we will be changing ever more and becoming more like Christ. I don't want to be the same Gabby next week. I don't want to be the same Gabby in a year. I want to be a more Christ-like Gabby that, that reflects him more and more in my day-to-day -day life. And then Jodé, last week, if you were here, she preached on everyday disciples called to everyday sacrifice, how we are called to present our lives as a holy and living sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And, and all of these messages are on Spotify, by the way. If you missed it, you can go back, you can listen to them. But today I was given the topic of, of speaking of everyday disciples called to everyday holiness. Now, holiness is one of those words that Really, you'll only ever hear in church, right? You don't hear your boss talking about holiness unless you work maybe in a Christian school or a Christian setting. You don't hear people at the gym talking about holiness. You don't walk into a coffee shop and order your coffee and start a conversation about holiness. You really only ever hear the word holy or the word holiness in church. And we sing about how God is holy. And when the pastor calls us to be everyday disciples that are called to everyday holiness, we shout amen. Maybe if you're more reserved, you just subtly nod your head, <laughs> and I think this is a non-denominational church, an international church is where you can most easily see how we are so diverse and so different from each other, just in the way that we worship, but it's a word that unless you're in church, you don't hear, and even when you're a church, if somebody was to ask you, well, what does holy mean? If one of your uni friends or one of your colleagues at work was to ask you, well, what does it actually mean, what would you say? Yes, we sing about it. Yes, we hear about it. Yes, we read about it. But do we have a definition for it? Could we explain what it is? And so what are our preconceptions about holiness? What are our religious understandings about holiness? And what does the Bible actually say about holiness? So to answer this question, we're going to ask ourselves two questions to begin with today. What does it mean for God to be holy? And what does it mean for us to be holy? 
So what does it mean for God to be holy? The first thing that we have to establish today is that God's holiness is unique to him alone. It's exclusive to him. Only God is holy. The root word for holy in Hebrew is kadosh. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but I'm going to go with this. Kadosh. In Greek, it's hagios, which means set apart. Can you repeat that? Set apart. I need you to remember that. Holiness means set apart. Set apart, sacred, consecrated, sanctified. God is set apart in that he is higher than. He is superior. He is more than. He is wiser than. He is bigger than. He is stronger than. He is far above anything that we can think or imagine. He doesn't conform to a standard. God is the standard. Hannah points to the exclusivity of God's holiness. She's, she's praying to God in the book of Samuel. And she says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. You alone are holy. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, he says, to whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. God has no rival. God has no equal. He's playing on a whole other league. He alone is holy. Now that, right away, makes holiness one of God's most difficult attributes for us to grasp or understand. Because holiness is the essence of who God is, and yet it is an attribute that we don't inherently share with God. As men and women, as sons and daughters created in the likeness of God, there are attributes that we share with God, even if to a lower extent. We share in his creativity. We share in his generosity, in his faithfulness, in his kindness. We share these attributes with God, but there are attributes that we cannot share. His omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence are attributes that we will never fully understand because they are God's alone. And holiness is the same way. Holiness is not just an attribute of God, it is the very nature of God, and we can't fully grasp it because it is not inherent to us unless through our relationship with Jesus Christ. God's holiness is what separates him from all other beings. It will make, it's what makes him distinct from everything else. God's holiness is more than just his perfection and his sinless purity. It is the essence of his otherness, his transcendence. He is set apart. God is holy. Number two, what does it mean for God to be holy? God's holiness, this transcendence, this otherness is what brings us to worship him. It's what brings us to our knees. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see two men having similar visions of being in God's presence. Isaiah says in chapter 6 that he's seeing angels called seraphims. And these seraphims, they have six wings. It gets really uh, strange in a way. These angels have six wings, and with two wings, they cover their faces, and with two wings, they cover their feet. And this is really pointing to how amazing, how perfect, how out of this world God is that we can't even bear his presence. Not even the angels can bear his presence. I love that Doris, she was just speaking about Moses. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And God says, okay, but you can only see the back of me. 
because you wouldn't be able to survive my presence. And Moses sees the back of God, and when he comes down the mountain before the people, his face is shining, and they're afraid of him because he has been in the presence of a holy God. And so we see Isaiah in this vision. He sees the angels, and they say, and one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, it's important for us to understand that in, in, in these days, repetition was used as a way of exclaiming. Instead of an exclamation mark, they would repeat. And so when you see anything that's repeated in the Bible, take Full attention because it's important. And he says that the angels, they repeated over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord because that is the only way that they can exclaim how amazing, how superior, how far beyond our capability and understanding God is. And interestingly, 700 years later, after Isaiah, the apostle John has a similar vision he sees the angels in the presence of God, and it says in Revelations chapter 4, and day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who, who was and who is and who is to come. Now, I've said it before, and I will say it again. God's otherness, God's transcendence, the fact that I can never fully grasp this God, no matter how long I walk with him, no matter how much I read the Bible, he is beyond my understanding. That is what brings me to my knees in worship. The fact that my God can't fit in any box that I will ever make for him brings me to worship. God's holiness embodies the mystery of his greatness, and it causes us to gaze in wonder at him as we see glimpses of his amazing majesty. American theologian and pastor R.C. Sproul, he wrote, God alone is holy in himself. The word holy is used as a synonym for his deity and calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy, his knowledge is holy knowledge, and his spirit is holy spirit. So, what does it mean for us to be holy? If God is holy, what does it mean for us to be holy? That's our second question today. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Now, Peter is calling us to be holy, so how, that, how can that be? If only God is holy, in that he is playing in a whole other league, he is sinless, he is perfect, he is good in all that he does, transcendent beyond our capacity, how can Peter possibly say that we, sinful, limited, incapable, fallen human beings, are also to be holy? We get our first clue in Leviticus chapter 20. The Lord says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. So the first thing that we have to understand about us being holy is that our holiness does not come from ourselves. It is only a direct result of our relationship to God. Because God is holy, all his attributes are holy, and so everything that we 
think of as belonging to God is holy. In the Old Testament alone, the word holy is used over 600 times. I think just in this message, I'm going to say the word holy over 600 times. But often, these, these things that were called holy were, were referred to as being separated for God, set apart for God, dedicated to God, consecrated to God. The tabernacle, later the temple, was called holy. All the items involved in worship were holy. The people who performed the worship to God were holy. The land around the tabernacle was holy. The people of Israel were called holy. Why? Because God is the source of holiness. And if he is set apart, then anything he sets apart is holy and his own. Our belonging to him makes us holy. The fact that you and I are chosen by God, set apart for God, makes us holy. We are holy by association. 2 Timothy first, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. That brings us to our second thing. We are holy because we belong to God. We are holy by association. And our purpose in him makes us holy. When Peter encourages us to be holy as God is holy, and when Paul is writing to Timothy, it seems like they're calling us to action. It seems they say, you are called to live a holy life, so as God is holy, you be holy. It seems like they're calling us to do something more than just belong to God. So the second thing we learn is that our purpose in him makes us holy. Let's read in 1 Thessalonians where Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. And the context of this is that Paul dearly loves this church. This church, these brothers and sisters, they are precious to him. They've become his friends. They're his family. And so he's writing to, to them in all of this love, and he's missing them. We're an international church. We definitely know what this is like to, to create these bonds with people and then to see them go and have this long-distance relationship where we worship the same God in, in different countries. Last week, we said goodbye to Tyler, and when we asked people to come and pray for him, half the church came up and laid hands on him, and we missed Tyler because he served in the church, and he, he walked with us, and he prayed with us, and he was changed with us. And now I can just pick up my phone, and I can FaceTime Tyler right now if I want to. I can WhatsApp him. We can Facebook him. But Paul really could only write to the church. And so it's in this context that he's writing to the church that he loves them and he's, a, he's like a spiritual father to them. And so he says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. He's saying, I really pray. He's speaking to them, but he's making a prayer at the same time. He says, I, I want to visit you. I want to be with you again. I pray that somehow God will take me to you so that I can do church with you again. I can pray with you again. I can sit down and eat with you again. And then he makes this prayer. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for everyone else as we do for you so that, remember these two words, so that, you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holiness. And so he prays that the Lord may increase their love for one another. 
In other words, he's, he's speaking to them and he's praying, I pray that you guys will love each other more. I pray that you will be kinder to each other. I pray that you will be more generous to each other. I pray that you will be more caring to each other. I pray that love may abound and increase within you. And this is a prayer that we can make in our own church today. God, we pray that we will love each other more that we will love more deeply, that we will love more patiently, that we will be quicker to forgive. God, may you increase our love for one another. And Paul says, and for everyone else. So not just the people in here, but may we abound and increase in love for people at our workplace, for people at our universities, for people outside of these four walls. May we increase in love. And these two words are so important. So that... You may be blameless and holy in the presence of God. Whoa. So holiness is directly correlated to our love for one another. If we go back to 2 Timothy, God has called us to a holy life for his own purpose. What purpose? I would argue to love one another. Immediately holiness becomes less about a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is not a checklist of legalistic instructions we are following. We don't measure our holiness by how many times we come to church or how often we pray or how little we cuss or how sexually pure we are. That is not how we measure holiness. In fact, there was a group of people in the Bible that were all about the legalistic checklists. The Pharisees thought they were doing everything right to be holy. All 613 laws, we got to do all of these. You shall not this, you shall not that. You should do this, you should do that. God, we're doing it all. We are holy. If there's anybody holy, if there's any good group of Christians, any good group of Jews, these guys were the holy ones. And yet in a conversation with Jesus, he wraps up all that checklist and he says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. So he summarizes all of that checklist into love. That the foundation would be love. John Bloom, the co-founder of Desiring God, he explains that holiness is not a behavioral issue. It's an affection issue. When the Bible instructs us to be everyday disciples called to everyday holiness, it's pointing to the way that we love God and the way that we love those around us. And so while our behavior is important, absolutely, it is merely a result of our love. Living out our purpose to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, that makes us holy. So let's recap what does it mean for God to be holy? He is set apart. He is transcendent. He is other than. Only God is holy. Number two, his holiness, it brings us to worship. We can do nothing else but worship him because of his greatness and his intrinsic goodness. What does it mean for us to be holy? We are holy by association. We are holy not in and of ourselves. We are holy because we belong to a holy God. The Bible says that you are in this world, you're not of this world. We are of God, and because we are consecrated to him, because we dedicate our lives to him, we are holy. And lastly, our purpose in him 
makes us holy. When the Bible calls us to action, be holy, live holy lives, it's pointing us to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is how you are called to live a holy life. Everything else will flow from it. Everything else flows from the way that you love your neighbor. Everything else flows from the way that you love God 100% with all that you have. So the last question, and possibly the most important question, is how do we live this everyday holiness? How do we put all of this into practice? And the truth is that the world ridicules holiness. People in our schools, people in our social clubs, people who don't name themselves as, as Christians, who don't believe in God, who don't dedicate their, their lives to God, they ridicule holiness. They see holiness as limiting. It's stifling. It prohibits us Christians from truly enjoying life. Nine out of the ten commandments are you shall not. The world does not like to hear you shall not. In their eyes, pursuing a life of holiness is denying ourselves from the pleasures that life has to offer. Why in the world would you want to live a holy life? And yet the Bible tells us something completely different, completely opposite. We establish that God's holiness is what sets him apart. He is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. He has no rival. He has no equal, which means that he can be satisfied in nothing other than himself. If God is truly good, if God is truly perfect, the creator of everything, that means that everything outside of God is less than, weaker than, worse than, slower than, inferior to. And why is that important? Because everything outside of God pales in comparison to him. When we rob God of his glory, when we seek to be satisfied in anything outside of God, we rob ourselves from true pleasure and true goodness. When we pursue him, the more that we deepen our relationship to him, the more we find life in all of its goodness, in all of its abundance. So being holy is not about just denying yourself from all pleasures that life has to offer. It's actually seeking the one who can truly give true pleasure and true everlasting joy. All that is good, all that brings lasting joy, all that is truly, satisfyingly, eternally pleasurable comes from God. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so unlike the world wants us to believe, holiness doesn't dampen our emotions. It elevates them. When we seek to live holy lives, we have a richer, more abundant experience of life. We're able to love more deeply, to give more generously, to care more profoundly, to do exceedingly to enjoy life in all of life, not just when things are going well, not just when we got promoted, not just when we have a lot of friends. When we seek the one that is holy, we're able to experience life in all of its fullness and have true peace, have true joy, joy that is not limited to circumstance, 
I was just speaking to Nadia, and if you haven't had a chance to, to speak to Nadia and hear her story, she's the French lady who welcomed you into church. She's like no other in church, so. <laughs> but she always had this smile. She always has this joy about her. And only yesterday I, I heard more of her story and heard her testimony. And wow, she has not had an easy life, and yet there is joy when you speak to her. She has gone through trial after trial, near-death experiences, and there is joy because she is seeking the one who is holy, not seeking to find pleasures outside of God because those will never satisfy. Those will never be enough. Those will always fade. They will come and they will go. But when you seek the holy one, the one who is truly good, the one who is able to give that which lasts, that which is stronger, that which is a true foundation, then you find joy and you find peace. No matter what happens in your life, you are satisfied by one who is holy. So how do we live in this everyday holiness that brings us everyday freedom, really? This holiness from God, it brings us freedom. Unlike the world wants us to, to think that we are binded by this pursuit, that we are enslaved by not, not giving ourselves, not, not ceding into the pleasures and the temptations of the world. When we are satisfied in God alone, we find freedom. How do we live in that everyday freedom? We set our focus on him. We remind ourselves that everything that is true and good comes from him. We sang a song earlier called Behold, and in one of the, I just wrote it down quickly, one of the sentences said, the things of earth stand next to him like a candle to the sun. What an illustration. The things of earth stand next to him like a candle to the sun. There is no comparison. And so when the world tries to tempt you with pleasures and with things that will satisfy, put your focus back on God. Put your focus back on the one who is truly good, the one who is truly holy, the one who is truly set apart, and remind yourselves that you are set apart that you are living for him, that you are living to love him, that you are living to please him, that you are living your life dedicated to one who is holy. We align ourselves with our identity as belonging to a holy God that is worthy of our worship, and we live in obedience to our purpose, to love him with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds. Again, it's not a checklist. Everything flows from the way that you love God. When you're tempted into sin, when you're tempted into wrong decisions, align yourself with your love for God. Align yourself with your love for people. And it's important to define that love. And if you go to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, what is it? 1 Corinthians 13, the wedding chapter. <laughs> If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, it's right there. It defines what true love is. Identify yourself as belonging to God. Realign yourself with your purpose to love him with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we abound in love for one another, as we increase in love for one another, we live holy lives. And in living holy lives, we experience true joy and pleasure. And so we're going to close today. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And we're going to pray this prayer. 
We put it up here every Sunday. We're ending with a prayer. If you want to take a picture of it or, or write it down so that throughout the week, this can be our prayer as a church. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. You are worthy of our worship. Help us to be set apart for you. Help us to abound in love for one another so that we may be holy in your presence. Help us to abound in love for one another so that we may be holy in his presence. Amen. We hope that God has touched your heart with the message that he wants to tell us. If you would like to be updated with the things that are happening in our church, you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Riverside Lisbon. Thank you for listening. Thank you.